Right, everybody get your Bible out, turn to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, and what we're going to do is we're going to start a new sermon series, a new teaching series called Just Ask Joseph. Just Ask Joseph. Several weeks ago, while we were in the Psalm 23 series, doesn't it kind of feel weird not to be in the Psalm 23 series? I was slightly depressed this week. I'm like, I'm preparing a sermon, and it's not from the Psalm 23 series, so... Um, but I am excited about this. In fact, um, several weeks ago, as I was kind of thinking and praying and pondering, um, I was thinking about the two words that the Lord gave our church family for 2016. And those two words were, uh, were further, deeper. And, and we felt like the Lord was saying that he wants to take um, Soma Church and the individuals that make up Soma Church further with him and deeper in him, deeper in the faith. And, um, and I was, so I was thinking about those two words and I was thinking about how, um, how going further with the Lord, it's like, it's like a journey. And I was thinking about the journey and I was thinking about how that journey contains, uh, just lots of ups and downs. Would you guys agree with that? How many of you ever, you've, you've heard someone say, oh man, life has been a roller coaster lately. How many of you have ever heard anybody say that? That's actually a great description of life because life is full of ups and it's full of downs. And of course, we tend to think that it's the the down times that are the dangerous times. You guys know what I mean? Things are hard. Things are rough. Those are the times where we're tempted to maybe be angry at God or walk away from the faith or whatever. But the reality is, and I want you to listen to me because this is important for this series. The reality is, is that the up times... The good times, the, the favorable times, you know, those times where you feel like God's face is shining down upon you. Whoa, my life is glorious, you know? Those times are just as dangerous, believe it or not. Maybe even more threatening to our ability to stay faithful to God than the down times if we don't know how to na- navigate what's going on in our hearts, our actions, our attitudes. If there was anyone that ever knew how to navigate the ups and downs of life, it was Joseph. Can I get some agreement in the house? I read one commentary. A guy said, Joseph was loved and hated. He was favored. He was abused. He was tempted, but he was also trusted. He was exalted, but he was also abased, or he was also brought low. Yet at no point in the 110 years of his life did Joseph ever seem to get his eyes off of God or cease to trust him. And if that's not already the desire of your heart to be a man, to be a woman, to be a, a young person that, um, that never seems to get their eyes off the Lord, that never ceases to trust in him, If that's not already your heart, then my hope is that by the end of this sermon series, it would be. And wouldn't it be nice to to get to the place where you can deal with um, humiliation and exaltation without marring your reputation? You guys know what I'm saying? Both. Not just the humiliation, but even the exaltation. We can lose ourselves. In those high times, those up times, we can lose ourselves. And so, is it possible 
Is it possible to stay faithful? Well, it seems like it is. If so, how do you do that? I think all we got to do is just ask Joseph. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. Tonight, the sermon title is Dreams. So go ahead and write that down. Dreams. And I'm going to give you this whole sermon in one sentence. But tonight, the sentence is actually a question. And most of the time during the series, the sermon and the sentence will probably be a question. Tonight, it's this. What do I do with my dreams? What do I do with my dreams? So you're in Genesis 37. Go ahead and turn there. Genesis 37. Look at, um, well, we'll just start in verse 1. Okay, can I confess something? Every time I read this or if I'm kind of going over my notes, a lot of times I, I say Jacob when I should say Joseph, and I say Joseph when I say Jacob. Okay? Just overlook that. being honest. Remember, this is a real night. This is a night when we're real. Okay, so. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. You guys know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay. These are the records of the generation of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their fathers. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. Yours might say a multicolored tunic coat or a coat of many colors. His brothers saw that their, fa- uh, their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not even speak to him on friendly terms. Your Bible might say, in your translation, might say they could not speak to him in a peaceful manner. Um, I was reading this, and you know, some would say that the story of Joseph actually starts on a down. Okay, because of the relationship that it paints um, of his relationship with the brothers, which is obviously uh, a downer for sure. And we're actually going to talk about that relationship a little bit next week. So, but because of that, people think it starts on a, on a, on a downer. But I look at this intro. I, I read the first words about Joseph. And in my opinion, it starts with a lot of good. To me, it starts on and up. And it starts with um, something that isn't quite clear here. You don't read it here, but I know the story, and many of you do, that, um, that Joseph was the son of Rachel. It's not listed as one of his, as Jacob's wives right here, but his first wife, his, the wife of his dreams, his loved Rachel. Joseph was their son together. Okay, now this is this is a huge part of, of the favor that we see, and, and, and as we talk tonight, we'll see more of that. Um, but because of this, Joseph was was um, Jacob's favorite son. I mean, it tells us right there, he was his favorite son, and it tells us that 
Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. That's what it says right there in verse three, okay? So I want you to think about this. Anytime you read that some, somebody didn't have a son until they were older in life or, or whatever, that's a sign of a blessing. That is a sign of someone that had a caller in their life. You guys might remember um, it was the same kind of situation with Abraham and Sarah. Remember, they couldn't have babies and all of a sudden they had babies and that was uh, indicative of a promise that God made. So listen, right there from the beginning, we see that Joseph is somebody that's got the favor of God on his life. Is that a good thing? Is that an up or is that a down? Okay, that's one of the first things that's communicated. And then most of you guys will see this as the greatest up in the whole story and that he was the best dressed guy in town. Some of you ladies are like, I wonder what that coat looked like. Would it look good on me? Seriously though, um, there are a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs. What I want to focus on is um, what he starts off with in verse five. It says, Joseph had a dream. I want you to say that together, nice and loud. Joseph had a dream, ready? Joseph had a dream. Now, when it says that Joseph had a dream, I think it literally means that Joseph had a, a dream, like he was asleep, he was doing the REM thing or whatever, and he had a literal dream. Most people dream. I've heard of some people that, that don't dream. Oh, I never dream. It's like, that's really odd to me because most people do dreams. I'll tell you this right now. The herrings, the herrings dream. Okay, I, the herrings are dreamers. And I'm not even kidding. I started preparing uh, this sermon on Thursday. Okay, started, sat down and started writing and, and stuff. And I'm not even kidding. That morning, Melissa was cooking breakfast and I came in and I started telling her a crazy dream that I had had. She's like, uh-huh, yeah. Whoa, whoa. While I am telling her the dream, my youngest son, Rowan, comes in there. You'll never believe the dream I had last night. Interrupts me telling his dream. Right about that time, my middle son, Cannon, goes, oh, I had a weird dream last night too. You know, and then all of a sudden, we're kicking around our dreams while cooking breakfast. The, the next day, Friday, Aiden, my, our, my oldest son, was telling, me, uh, was telling us about a weird dream that he had. And then just today, before I left the house, to come up here, Melissa said, oh gosh. And we haven't been talking about, they didn't even know what I was preaching on, but Melissa's like, I've got to tell you the dream that I had last night. And it was so ridiculously funny that we were all laughing. But, but my point is, is, is that the, we have dreams. The herrings are dreamers. So I don't get it. When people say they don't dream, I'm like, really? And don't even get me started about our, our daughter, Emma Kay, because when she dreams, the whole neighborhood knows it. I mean, you will hear a squeal in the middle of the night. You will hear a stop it in the middle of the night. You will hear these bumps on the walls. And I mean, she is a, she is a vivid dreamer. So anyway, the herrings dream. It says that Joseph had a dream. And it says that when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. The brothers didn't like him anyway. Joseph tells them the dream. And it says that they hated him even more. Let's look at the dream. Look at verse five. We'll keep going. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream, which I have had. He tells them the dream. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose up and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around my sheaves and bowed down to my sheaves. Then his brother said, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? 
And so they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. And then it says in verse 9, Now Joseph had another dream. And he related it to his brothers and said, Listen, I have had yet another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Verse 10 says that he also related this dream to his father and to his brothers. And his father actually rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves before you on the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. In other words, his father took the dream, put it up on the shelf. You guys understand what I'm saying? Now listen, I, I, I realize you read this and there's a lot of details missing. We hear the dream. We hear the responses to the dream, the brother's response. We hear the father's response. We don't get, we don't hear why Joseph tells them the dream. You know, some would say that Joseph was a spoiled, self-centered, prideful person who dreamed this dream to rub his father's affection for him in his brother's face. That's what some people would say. That, that you know, because he's a teenager, of course he was self-centered and prideful and arrogant. He was a teenager. And I just pause and I'm like, you know, so you're saying teenagers have to be idiots? You know? I mean, really though, let's think about it. So you're telling me that I'm looking at all these teenagers in here and I'm sorry guys, but turns out you must be idiots. Don't answer that. Some of you parents are like, well. But listen, that's not fair. That's not fair to say just because they're teenagers, they're going to be idiots, they're going to be selfish, they're going to be prideful, they're going to be self-centered. That's like saying, well, he's a man. He has to look at pornography. Oh, really? That's the way it is? Isn't that ridiculous? Because he's a teenager, he was prideful. Or... Because he had that special coat and he wore that special coat and he strutted that special coat and we know that he was arrogant. Who knows that he did that? Who knows that he even liked wearing that coat? He might have been completely embarrassed by this coat that his dad gave him. You know what I mean? We all know those coats that the parents give him. We're like, I'll never forget a, a sweater that I just swore in my heart. I knew the first Christmas present I ever gave my wife. 1992. One, actually. Christmas of 91. And it was this sweater. And I was like, she is going to love this. She hated that thing. <laughs> I didn't know it till later, you know. But she hated that thing, right? So we don't know that. We, we're just kind of, listen. Or some people would say, well, he was obviously spoiled. He was favored. He was spoiled. The guy probably didn't do anything but sit home all day long playing Minecraft. But the reality is, is that we don't, listen, we don't know that. All of that. Um, it could be true. All that could be true. But listen to me. These are surface level judgments based upon very limited information. Isn't that right? And I have learned that approaching life with, with those kinds of lenses will keep you some, for, from some very valuable relationships. Keep you away from very valuable people, neat people, even great opportunities. So, you know, I, I hear those thoughts and, and it's all conjecture. Uh, can I just share some of my thoughts as I read through this? Is it, would that be okay? First of all, I look at this, and it tells us that Joseph had to work just like his brothers did. It's one of the first things it tells us. Isn't that what it said? Joseph, when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. Listen, if Joseph has this son in his old age, 
then Joseph is smart enough, smart enough to know, even thinking back on his own life and his grandfather and his father, he knows that there's a purpose for this life. And he knows somewhere in his heart that who this son grows up to be depends a lot upon him. And so if, if there was ever a son that he would invest in, it would be him because he knows that if you give this son nothing to do, then he will turn out to be a good for nothing. Isn't that right? And so you know that he fathered him with more purpose than that. Of course, we know that the brothers were jealous of the attention that he probably would have gotten. But listen, Joseph had to work just as much as they did. It says it right there. First thing before it says anything about some down stuff or up stuff, rather, it says that, hey, he had to, he had to work just like everybody else. And that's actually an up, in my opinion. Another thing is, and this takes a little bit more thought and, and the bigger picture, you kind of have to read back a little bit and know the story as a whole. But Joseph was the youngest brother of other brothers who came from other wives. I want you to think about that. Twelve sons from three different wives. Can you imagine the family dynamics? I mean, seriously. You know, one of the things right now is blended families and, and all that. It, it can get really hairy. Some of you are like, I'm part of one of those. I grew up with one. I have one. And it can get, can you imagine this one? Can you imagine the tension of 12 boys who have different moms one of the mom is the beloved, and real quick story, Rachel couldn't have babies. I told you that she was barren, okay? So the first years of her marriage, he told, she told Jacob, I just go sleep with my maidservant, Milpah, and Zilpah, and Hupah, or whatever, you know? And so his first sons were sons of, his, of, of Rachel's maidservants, okay? So can you imagine what the dynamics of these basically slave kids? And then she does have a baby, Rachel is... is favored wife has a baby in their old age, but she has one. And this is the golden child. Are you telling me that those, first of all, that those boys wouldn't just fight amongst each other just because, I mean, you know, no, no telling the tension, but they would have had a common enemy with Joseph. Isn't that right? Well, look who's coming. I mean, if nothing else, well, it's the son of the wife who my father loves, you know, you know that it got scary. You know, and it wouldn't have mattered what he said or when he would say it or how he would say it or the tone or whatever. They would have given him a hard time. Naturally, the family dynamics were jacked up, okay? Another thing that I thought about, and I want you to, I want you to hear this because I think there's a lot in this story that we hear just from this, this thought. Joseph was born, it says in verse three, in Jacob's old age. He was born in his, he was old when he had him. Now I want you to remember something about Jacob. He went through some big changes about halfway through his life. Some big changes. If you know the story, you know that Jacob, God turned his name from Jacob to Israel. So the nation of Israel, the, you know, the Israel we throw around and we read about, that's Jacob. That's this guy. That's, that's Joseph's dad. His name used to mean deceiver. Jacob means deceiver. And guess what? That's what he was. If you read in Genesis 7, it tells you that he was a deceiver and Jacob was a thief. Are you all listening to me? He was a deceiver and a thief. But then you read in chapter 28, Genesis 28, and it tells us that God, listen to me, God gave Jacob a life-changing dream. If you read the story, Jacob himself was a dreamer. God changed his life through a dream. But listen to me, how many of you know that you can have an encounter with God and it'd be a big one, a powerful one, a mighty encounter with God, but the change that's supposed to come from that takes time. 
Isn't that what we've all experienced? It takes time to change, right? That sanctification part of our faith, we're justified in Christ, but there's a whole life of being sanctified, set apart, growing, changing. And then one of these days when it's all said and done, we'll be glorified. But the majority of our life is spent in that sanctification, that sanctified, that setting apart, changing into his image, transformation season, right? And it takes a while. I was thinking about how it says that he had that encounter with um, um, with the Lord in Genesis 28. And then right there in Genesis 29, right after that encounter with the Lord, he meets Rachel, chapter 29. He meets Rachel. and uh, But listen, from that chapter, 29, all the way to around 34, were some of the most frustrating and disappointing years of Jacob's life. Go back and read the story. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, even his dealings with Rachel's father, Laban, that alone could have caused some spiritual setbacks for Israel, for Jacob, if you think about it. My point is this. He probably made a lot of mistakes early on with his older sons because he fathered them during the years of, of uh, you know, after some years of, of that turmoil and, and craziness, and I'm sure he was frustrated and he was impatient. Maybe times where he was unkind. Maybe he was just, you know, always at the end of the rope, always at his wit's end. But then jo- Joseph comes along. And not just the fact that he was Rachel's son, but also the season of life he was. He was older now. He was older. And you know that he was most likely trying to do better by Joseph to raise him different. I know how that feels. My wife and I had three sons, Aiden, Cannon, and Rowan. And then when Rowan, our youngest son, was about four or so, four and a half, whatever, my wife finds out she's pregnant. First of all, we were like, what are you talking about? You know? But as soon as she told me that she was pregnant, I knew in my heart two things. It was going to be a girl, and God was about to take his chisel and have his way with me. Because you raise sons very differently than you do daughters. Well, you shouldn't. Oh, shut up. (laughs) You do. And I knew the Lord was about to say, you're about to go to the next level, buddy. And I can promise you that my sons will will need way more counseling than my daughter. (laughs) Because God did. He chiseled on me, and it's good. Listen, Joseph probably got lots of attention, lots of instruction, he probably got the, um, the, the good share of Jacob's patience and his gentleness and his kindness and his, his uh, encouragement and his correction and, and all of that. But listen, that doesn't mean that he was full of pride and arrogance, does it? No. In fact, if you look at Joseph's character through the rest of the story, that's not, it's not consistent with pride and arrogance. How many of you have read the story of Joseph or you've seen the movie? How many of you know... Um, Whatever, anyway. That's not consistent with what you read about his life. You don't don't see the pride and arrogance and self-centeredness. He's consistently humble and he's a hard worker. He's consistently diligent and he's consistently faithful. And I know there are some that would say, well, that's because he got thrown into a pit. You get thrown into a pit, you're going to change. Can I tell you what? No, you don't. No, you don't. I can promise you that one pit, one pit won't destroy your pride. One pit ain't going to do it. (laughs) You know, 
Ken and I were talking. Where's Ken? And we were kind of kicking some of this around. I was talking, sharing some thoughts with him. And Ken said, you know what? How he handled the pit tells you what was in his heart. And I was like, exactly. And we had a glorious moment right there in the office. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. My interpretation of Joseph's actions here with, you know, with the dreams and, and even telling on his brothers. People say, well, Joseph was a tattletale. You know what? Joseph might have been a righteous son that actually cared about things more than we thought he did and said, my, son, my brothers are going to get themselves in big trouble. They need intervention, right? My sons feel like they got to bring intervention to my other sons all the time because <laughs> they're so righteous, you know? But seriously, I mean, we, we're just lots of conjecture here. And maybe my, my points are just as much conjecture, but I'm trying to take the whole thing in consideration. I don't see prideful superiority in Joseph's life consistently. Now, what we could be experiencing right here is youthful immaturity. Isn't that right? Maybe even spiritual immaturity. Because Joseph ultimately was doing what boys do. They run their mouth. How many of you have sons? Boys run their mouths constantly. That's what they do. They need to change in, in Webster's Dictionary the definition of boy. Small, stinky human that runs its mouth. I mean, isn't that right? That's the definition of the boy. So listen, boys, I have three of them. They run their mouth constantly. They just talk. They just, words come out. They don't even have to be thinking. They could be asleep. How you know, stuff's coming out. Listen, boys are, think about Joseph. He was a 17-year-old. My gosh. He's, he's excitable. He's excited. They got lots of energy. My middle son, Cannon, he, I mean, he just, he'll, he'll be like, Dad, Dad, oh my God, no, 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 see this. What, 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 what? Look, there's a lizard in the bush. <laughs> my God, I thought somebody's head got cut off. You know what I'm talking about, Melissa? And we're all like, Cannon, you know? It's crazy. My house is crazy. I'm the one that's going to need counseling. <laughs> but listen, what, what Joseph saw in those dreams was way more than a lizard in the bush, right? It was way more than even a dream. Most of us know that feeling of, of waking up from a dream and just knowing that we know that we know that God just spoke to us. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You wake up from a dream and it was one of those where it's like, whoa, God just downloaded vision for my life. God just gave me major purpose, a sense of calling. And we don't even have to be asleep for him to download that kind of vision and purpose into our lives, right? I mean, you think about waking up, waking up can just as much be figurative. Maybe we, we wake up from a life lived completely for ourselves. You know what I mean? One day we just wake up and we're like, oh my gosh, life is all about me. They've been saying it for years. And who knows what it is that pushes us to wake up, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And if it hasn't happened to you, you know you've seen it happen to others. They just wake up and finally that change that you've been praying for happens. There's that awakening. Or maybe there's a a waking up after that nightmare season of difficulty. We've all had them. Or a nightmare season of sin where it's really just our own issues. We're we're doing it to ourselves. But then we wake up like the prodigal son. He he, he woke up in the pigsty. He said, what am I doing? The slaves of my father eat better than this. And he woke up and he came home and he repented and his life changed. Interestingly, what did they put on him? 
a coat. And I promise you, when we come before the Lord and we make that change, he puts on a coat of righteousness on, her, uh, on us, Scripture says. But that awakening, that awakening usually comes with a sense of purpose. It comes with a sense of destiny, a, a dream, a vision for your life, a sense of knowing what God wants for you and from you. And some of you in this room may still be waiting for that dream. You may be waiting for that sense of calling, that, that plan that he has for you. That's, that's maybe even the prayer that you've been asking him. Lord, what do you want? What am I supposed to be doing? What is my life to be about? Maybe in general or maybe for the next season, we pray those prayers. And then there's some of you in this room, you could care less what God's will for your life. That's not, there's never a prayer that comes from your lips. Maybe you're still in that stage where you need to wake up from a life lived on, only for yourself. Some, of, some people don't care at all. I was reading a, um, a little article from a guy named Andrew Womack, a pastor, preacher guy. He said, as long as you can live without knowing his will for your life, you will. Did y'all catch that? As long as you can live without knowing his will for your life, as long as you can live without knowing his will, you will. You'll live without knowing his will. That's a terrible way to live, isn't it? I believe God has a dream for everyone. You know, and this is it's literally a dream. The guy was asleep, the REM, eyes, lids going, you know. But I'm talking about a vision for your life, a purpose, a calling, a destiny, however you want to say it. I believe God has one for every, everyone. Jeremiah 29, 11, our favorite verse tells us that. I know the plans, the purposes, the dream that I have for your life. And whether you are someone who has a dream and you know that dream, or you're someone that's been waiting on that dream, there's a question that you need to ask Joseph. And that is this. What do I do with my dreams? What do I do with my dreams? And so I'm going to give you just a few things that I think Joseph would respond with based upon what we read from his story. Okay? Real quickly, you can write these down. The first thing I think Joseph would say is seek discernment. Seek discernment. Make sure your dreams are from God. Fair enough, right? Seek discernment. Like, seek the Lord. Because it's easy to latch on to our own dreams. <laughs> what we want. Or what somebody told us they want. I mean, what is the common story in movies? You know, the dad and mom want the kid to be a doctor, and so that's the dream they pursue. Is that, I mean, they make movies about that kind of stuff, right? We can easily latch on to someone else's dream or a fleshly dream of our own. But we've got to seek discernment. You feel like you have a dream or you're hoping for a dream? You're hoping for vision for your life? You're hoping to get a sense of God's calling on your life? The first thing you need to do is you need to seek discernment. Make sure your dreams are from God. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 to test everything. Everything. If it comes your way, test it. Hold fast to what is good. Test it. If it's good, hang on to it and don't let go. That's what Paul says. In Hebrews 4.12, the writer says, the word of God, talking about the Bible, the word of God, is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, pissy, uh, piercing, <laughs> to the division of soul and spirit, all the way down to the joints and the marrow. And this, listen to what it says that the word of God is able to do. Discern the thoughts 
and the intentions of the heart. Okay, we've got to seek discernment. Philippians 1.9, Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. My prayer is that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Again, there's that discernment there. We've got to grow in discernment. We've got to seek discernment. We've got to know what God is saying, what God is doing, what God is wanting. In Hebrews 5, another place in Hebrews, it says, but for solid food, I want you to hear this one. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. Okay, now half the teenagers just started thinking about the Flash and the Arrow and Superman and all the super, you know. But that's what it says. Those who have their powers, the mature, the mature are the ones who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I want you to think about something. Now, we're not there yet in the story, but a lot of you know the story. You know the story later, Joseph ends up in Egypt and he interprets some dreams for Pharaoh's. Do you remember how many dreams the Pharaoh had? Two. How many did Joseph have? Two. And they were two very different dreams that communicated the exact same thing. Pharaoh had two very different dreams that communicated the exact same thing. And that's why Joseph was able to see. It's like he recognized the pattern. And Joseph's wisdom literally saved hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, because he was, he was, he was trained like, through the course of the years. And we'll, we'll get to that part of the chapter or, or, or story. But he saved millions. And by the way, listen, the, the dream that Joseph had that he communicated to his brothers, those two dreams, that wasn't his destiny. His destiny wasn't to see his brothers bow down before him. What was his destiny? What was his dream? What was the real calling? To save millions of people. That's what it was about. I tell you that because most of us, when we have dreams, in our dreams, we are the rock stars. Isn't that right? I mean, even thinking about what you feel like God's calling you in your life, the way that we imagine it is from a rock star status. I mean, come on, right? But God doesn't give us our dreams so that we're the rock stars. If we are allowed to be rock stars, it is so that other people can be changed. Isn't that the truth? I remember when Melissa and I first got married very, very early on, and I was, she'd been a Christian for a long time, and, but I was new to the faith. But both of us had this sense of, of calling. Like we had this, in fact, we literally kind of had this vision. And when, when we kind of shared it with each other, we're like, wow, we both have the same picture. And it was a picture of a long tunnel that you're just looking down. And at the end of the tunnel, there was a light, a light at the end of the tunnel. And it didn't necessarily say great things, but there was a perception. You know how sometimes in dreams it isn't, but you know it is, you know? There was this perception or this understanding that at the end of the end of the tunnel was great things. And so Melissa and I are like, wow, we got great things ahead of us. And in our own ways, we pursued those great things. We didn't really seek discernment. We, we just kind of pursued what we thought were those great things. And, you know, there's people would, that would probably say, well, Tony, you and Melissa have done great things. And we, you know, I was in worship and she's got her degrees in school and done great things. And we were youth pastors and did great things there. And, and people would say, Soma's, you're doing great things. And that's great, <laughs> you know. But here, this, can I just be vulnerable with you? The Lord showed me this week, this week on Thursday, what that vision, that dream was 20-something years ago. 
Can I tell you what it was? Would you like to hear it? Would you like to hear it? She's like, I'd like to know. <laughs> what, what? Give me one word that would sum up the light at the end of the tunnel. Hope. Hope. You see, the light at the end of the tunnel is a description of hope. Isn't that right? It's thinking about how Melissa and I have been bringers of hope. We've done a lot of things and things we can say, yeah, that was cool and that was great and wow, you know. But what we have been is bringers of hope. Melissa and I have both, we have been hopeful with people. We have been hopeful for people. We have travailed through difficulties with people, sometimes to no avail, if you understand what I'm saying. But that is what God called us to do and to be. It wasn't about us doing great things. We were going to be great bringers of hope. Do you understand? Seek discernment. Remember, it said whenever Joseph interpreted those dreams, we'll get to it when we get to Genesis 41, it says that the Pharaoh looked for a man discerning and wise that could help deal with the dreams. And guess who they chose? They chose Joseph, because he was wise and discerning. He sought discernment. He walked with the discernment. He lived with the discernment. The second thing is use discretion. Use discretion. In other words, be careful who you share your dream with. (laughs) Some of you are shaking your head like, boy, let me tell you. And we probably all have our own stories of this, but think about, think about what we are reading here. Use discretion. Jo- just ask Joseph what he would say. Uh, use discretion. Use discretion, brother. Be careful who you share your dreams with. Proverbs 2, verse 11 says that discretion shall preserve you. Discretion will guard you. It will keep you safe. In the first chapter of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it's talking about why the Proverbs were even written, why he even wrote them. And he says, to give prudence to the naive. Y'all listen to this. To give prudence to the naive. I'm writing these words <laughs> so that the naive will be a little more prudent. And look at what he says. And to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Now, you've got to pick, pick this up. To the youth. I'm writing this so that the youth, a young person, in their immaturity would learn knowledge and discretion. Listen to me. Joseph's big mistake was that he it was immaturity and indiscretion. Maybe naivety. You guys hear what I'm saying? The inability to see the bigger picture. It's like, dude, you know they hate you, right? <laughs> discretion. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned. I saw the big picture like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish things. You know what's funny is in, in this, you know where, who, who actually shows the discretion? You know who, where we learned the discretion? It actually wasn't from Joseph. It was from his dad. Did y'all notice that? We learned discretion from the It says his brothers were jealous of him, but his father His father put the dream up on the shelf. He kept these things in his mind. It says that his father kept the saying in mind. Because why? Because his father had been there, done that. His father was in his older years, wiser. He understood the power of discretion, keeping it to yourself. 
I think if you were to ask Joseph, dude, what would you do differently? I think Joseph would say, well, I would have done what Mary, mother of Jesus, did. Luke 2, 19 says that Mary kept all these things. Remember, God gave her a dream. God gave her a vision. God gave her a big purpose. But it says that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Are you with me? I'm hoping this is speaking to somebody tonight. If you feel certain that the Lord has spoken something to you and it has been confirmed through multiple dreams, maybe through his word, uh, maybe someone's come to you and spoke prophetically, whatever, it's not, necessary, it's not necessary to dialogue with everybody and their dog about it. It's just not necessary. Even though you're super pumped, even though you're very excited about what has been spoken to you, it's not necessary to tell everybody about it. Listen to me. When you believe God speaks to you about your future, let me give you three quick things. When you believe that God has given you a dream, when he's spoken to you about your future, you can write it down. Write it down. Write it down, seal it up. You got a journal? Write it in there. Wherever you can come back to it and say, see, I told you. You know, write it down. Write it down, seal it up, date it, whatever. The next thing you can do is share it with a faithful few. The key word being faithful. Someone that you trust with that information. If you know that somebody is highly jealous of you, not the person to share that with. Because people in general don't know how to celebrate our successes. Right? They don't. So you've got to know that you know that you know that this is a faithful person that I can share this with. Use discretion. Use discretion. And the third thing is, become the person that God wants you to be. Become the person that God had in mind when he forethought that plan out for you. Does that make sense? Become somebody worthy of that task. I'm not saying that your worthiness has anything to do with it, but we're striving to be worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ Jesus. Isn't that right? Yes or no? All right. And let me say this. Anything less than, anything less than description is at least a slight attempt to make that dream come true yourself. Should you think about what I'm saying? Anything less than a discretion is at least a slight attempt to make that dream come true yourself. I'm going to tell you a quick story. When Melissa and I were first married, first few years of our marriage, we served at a church and uh, did some worship. She did kids ministry. Then they asked if I would do some worship for youth ministry. I did that and went pretty good. And so then they asked Melissa and I to lead a small group of juniors and seniors, high schoolers. We said, sure, because that's what, that's what you say when somebody asks you to do something, gives you an opportunity. You say, sure, knowing that it could possibly lead to something greater because it's an opportunity to be faithful. And those who are faithful and the little will be entrusted with much. That was free. <laughs> and so there were three High school, juniors and seniors. Three months later, there were 30. They were putting out their cigarettes when they would, right before they would come into our doors. So we were reaching a lot of kids. I don't know why. Probably because of how goofy I was and how pretty she was. You know what I mean? But I want you to listen to me. Um, during that season, I started to get in a sense of, man, I think I would love to be in ministry, worship, youth, something, a sense of calling, sense of purpose. And I even believe that the Lord kind of spoke that into my heart. Well, we moved to Dallas. Melissa um, graduated TJC, went to UT Arlington. We moved to Dallas. And, uh, and I went to a, a ministry school there. Just a, I mean, just like within, a, within weeks of us moving to Dallas, we had heard that the youth pastor at the church that we were at left. I think he was going to be a cop or something. He wanted to be a cop. I was like, well, 
Guess what I did? I called the pastor. Hey, listen, I uh, heard that uh, he was going to be going on. You're going to be needing a youth pastor. Well, I just I got to tell you, I'm your guy. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, let's think about that. We'll get back with you. But they never got back me, with me. The next thing I heard, they had hired someone else. And I want to tell you what. Y'all remember that word that I accidentally said earlier? I mean, truly, I was mad. I was angry, wasn't I? I was bitter. I was so mad. But that was an attempt. That was an attempt for me to go do that on my own. And let me tell you, God, at that point, took us down from the up into the valley, down the roller coaster, and probably some of the worst months around a year of our lives. It was a terrible season for us. Could you imagine that terrible season where we almost got a divorce if we had been youth pastors of a large youth group? What would that have done? It would have destroyed the group. God's like, yeah, you're not ready yet. You're not ready. And he knew that. I didn't seek discernment. I certainly wasn't using discretion. Right? And then we plugged in, got healthy. A few years later, I got a phone call from the very same pastor and said, hey, we need a youth pastor. Are you interested? And I was like, no. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. But God started burning on our hearts, and, it, and then it was the season. You guys understand? Any attempt, uh, any, any you, uh, whatever, you guys heard what I said a while ago. It's at least, at the very least, a slight attempt to accomplish it on our own. The third thing is this. Seek discernment, use discretion, and then listen, this is very simple. Fight distraction. Fight distraction. God gives you a dream, fight distraction. Keep God's dream for your life in front of you. Don't veer to the left or to the right. There's going to be plenty of opportunities. Jesus himself, the dream that God had for him, came under attack, but he stayed focused. You guys hear what I'm saying? Proverbs 3, 21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. He actually uses discretion in that verse. Don't lose sight of it. Proverbs 4.25, uh, let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight. Ponder, look at that, ponder the path of your feet. Keep it before you. Keep it hidden in your heart. Keep it right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Psalm 119, I will meditate on your precepts and I will fix my eyes on your ways. Romans 12, 2. We talk about Romans 12, 1 and 2 all the time, but it says, don't be conformed. Don't go off another way. Don't be conformed to the image of this world, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test, so that you can discern what God's will for your life is. Stay focused. Stay there. And then, of course, Hebrews 12. Fixing our attention on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, listen, it's key, in view of the joy set before him, went all the way to the cross. He knew the dream God had for him. He knew the dream. And it was for the accomplishment of that dream that God gave him that he was able to push through. He focused even when he couldn't even open his eyes. They were beaten so severely. The eyes of his heart, right? The eyes of his heart were focused on that dream. You guys stand with me. I'm so, I feel like it is such a privilege 
to have communicated these words to you tonight because I believe that some of you have a dream that you're struggling with, you're trying to discern right now if it is from the Lord and you needed that word tonight. Some of you have been waiting for months, maybe even years for God to speak to you about what he, you love him, you want to serve him, you, you've laid your life on the, on the altar, you just don't know what it is that you're supposed to pick up and where you're supposed to go. And so tonight was your night. And then some of you could care less what God wants for your life because you are still asleep. You are a sleeper. And you are living like I was talking about earlier for yourself. I want to encourage you. Now is the time to awake, O oh sleeper. Amen. Wake up because the Lord has a dream for you and I can promise you God's dream for your life is better than yours. Amen. Let's lift a hand to the Lord. Lord, we come before you tonight and we surrender and we thank you that you are the giver of dreams and you are the fulfiller of dreams. And so we lay all of uh, the plans and purposes for our lives. We lay them on the altar, especially those that we've conjured up on our own. We seek your will. We seek discernment from your word and uh, the wisdom of, uh, of, of community. And we want to know what you are saying for us. And I pray that even as we, be, as we launch this uh, this sermon series with this topic, dreaming that you would propel people into the next season of ups in their life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.